if we are going to be something other than just the Episcopal Church that, that doesn't uh, marry you know, same-sex couples, well, then we're going to have to consider what it actually might be to teach, preach, and believe in the authority of Scripture the way that we ostensibly do. Welcome to the Stand Firm Podcast. I'm Nick Lannon of Grace Anglican Church in Louisville, Kentucky, here today with Matt Kennedy of the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghamton, New York, and J.D. Koch of Christ Church Anglican in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. How are you guys doing today? Wonderful. Yeah, great, Nick. Thanks. So, J.D., got that fiber internet installed, and it hasn't changed my life yet. What's, what's in store for me? I don't know. It's just ours just works a lot better. I don't know. Um, did they bury the cable? This is no, sort of in interesting. No, oh, no, there's a cable that came with ours and I called. No, no, like, I mean, it. it's in a cable. It's just hanging in the air. Oh, well, they're going to, there is actually, this is like from out of a, um, out of um, Brazil, the Jerry Gillum movie. There is a, a department of buried cables that you can call, <laughs> which, because they, for some reason, they forgot about ours. And so after three months of driving over it, I finally got mad enough to call them. And they said, oh, I'm sorry, sir. We'll transfer you to the department of buried cables. <laughs> and I guess there's a, com a commandant awesome. of cable bearing or something, but he, um, they, they fixed it right up. So. There you go. So yeah, look out. So now you can stream your, um, do your online uh, twerk. What is the the game called when you? Um, Excuse me, twerk. <laughs> Isn't that what they call uh, game playing? You can cut all this out. Um, <laughs> I don't think we want to be associated with twerking. It's not twerking. It's um, Twitch. Twitching. Uh, yeah, twitching, twitching, twitching. I know what I'm supposed to be. That <laughs> might be kind of. It's Twitch. He's hip. He's hip with the kids. That's right. Hey, I watch. fellow kids. <laughs> yeah, hey, right. fellow young people. That's right. I'm not so familiar with your with your particular music, but the whole <laughs> rock and roll genre. I'm a fan of. That's right. That's right. Your appeal has become more selective. Made me. Made me embarrassed. I, I know it's something not not something untoward. Okay. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Well, let's keep talking about um, bishops and Anglican identity and unity. It seems like some corners of global Anglicanism are still trying to discern what happened with the consecration of a female bishop in Kenya, what to do about it, what it means for the future. And recently, closer to home in Anglican news, a church in the ACNA, a church which is LGBTQ affirming in certain ways, I was transferred into another jurisdiction outside of Anglicanism rather than having its clergy come under any kind of discipline. And so we were we were wondering how bishops work, how our structures work, what things are worth staying together over, what things are worth splitting apart over. How is it that we can be Anglican and together? And what are the things that keep us together? You know, about this particular situation, I mean, it, it, what's fascinating is there seems to have been a some kind of ongoing discussion between this particular pastor and, and the bishop of this diocese, which means that he, the bishop, for a while, understood that he had a, had an affirming, LGBTQ affirming priest under his authority, and then ultimately transferred him to another jurisdiction where he would be safe, where he would be safe to teach what he's teaching, which, which I think is a is a abrogation of the duty that a bishop has. I mean, when the bishop's ordained, what's he ordained to do? He's ordained, um, yes, to pastor the flock, but also he is he is ordained to do away with wolves. <laughs> it's, it's part of his job. 
not send them to other jurisdictions where they can continue to, to to devour. He's supposed to. He's supposed to. He. So I. He should have done. He should have given that pastor one chance to repent, recant. And if he wouldn't do that, then the guy's out. He loses his collar. He's not transferred. So the reason that that particular thing made news is because uh, that represented a terrible. I don't know, uh, Episcopal malpractice, I guess I would say. Uh, you've, 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 you've pushed this new, this guy into another jurisdiction where he can just continue to hurt people. So, um, so yeah, a bishop's, a bishop's role um, is, is not bad, <laughs> to put, put it simply. Do you think that he should have, um, or in, in a future situations, uh, just simply defrocked or removed uh, the priest in question? I mean, that's what happened. Yeah. You know, I mean, ostensibly, that's what was being argued in our removal or defrocking was that we were we were dangers to um, right. you know to the order and, and goodness of the church, and so we're not upholding the faith of the church as this or the faith as this church has received it, and so yeah, we need to be we needed to be our, our callers needed to be taken away and. Um, I would I would certainly agree. I mean, because with the in the Episcopal Church, with, between the Episcopal Church and us, we're talking about two different religions. We're not talking about two different branches of the Christian right. Church. We're talking right, about right. two different churches. Well, different, it does it does bring into question. Religions. You know, I've been mulling over a question someone asked me uh, to consider uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I don't know if I've shared it with y'all or not, but it's it's just rattling around. And it was this: is that you know that that there's the ACNA unfolds further, uh, some ten years plus into its um, sort of official existence. You know, our 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 concern has to be for what what is the church other than the Episcopal Church that doesn't that doesn't ordain you know practicing homosexuals? Like, what are we? Uh, like, if that's what we are. Are, well, then that doesn't seem to be a um, uh, a unifying principle that is strong enough in and of itself. Now, now I can argue that there are undergirding things, you know, more uh, presenting uh, sort of foundational issues. But but if in the minds of many people we simply are um, all things, uh, you, you know, uh, sort of all systems go in the exact same way, except for we have a disagreement over who can quote unquote be married. Well, then um, that's that's not a particularly compelling vision, you know, for one. And then two, I think the more difficult part is what's represented perhaps in this um, this church that left is that we are um, I think we're, we're, we're insufficiently prioritizing and catechizing people in the the sort of historic Anglican formularies that we've been given. You know, I mean, how could how could uh, someone who subscribed an oath to the 39 articles, you know, about uh, with Article six and the sufficiency of Scripture? And then Article 20 about not uh, teaching or preaching or condoning anything that's that's uh, appropriate to Scripture. How could how if someone were being raised up in there and then swore a fidelity to those um, uh, formularies, uh, how how could you end up in a church? where the minister would would be teaching preaching and believing these things i mean we've been here before you know this is the problem and so i think i don't know i've been i've been considering that question because was it's making me rethink um everything from well everything down to um you know uh, sort of pre-baptism prep uh for parents you know pre-marriage prep i mean discipleship down to the very um to the earliest moment uh because because by the time we we get to a church like this one that that um, you know quote unquote prayerfully leaves to follow the lead of the spirit into a more progressive denomination, well, it's almost too late at that point. Um, and so, 
again, I, I, I mean, I know we talk about this a lot, but it, but all of these things together, the the um, sort of the the GAFCON um, shaking, uh, which is still reverberating, the leaving of this church, you know, all of these sort of things combined have have uh, highlighted for me, uh, redoubled my own personal need for um, for deep and persistent biblical catechesis from uh, as early as we possibly can, because I think a lot of these are functions of of a um, anemic uh, at, at the very uh, best um, sort of understanding of biblical fidelity and discipleship. And that's really the crux of the matter. Somebody said to me, you know, why don't these people just go to the Episcopal church? And I think that the answer is that they, unlike the Episcopal church that we all three experienced, who really put their own discernment of quote unquote, the spirit over and above what the scripture said, even as they read it, they would say things like, well, man wrote the scriptures, we can rewrite them. These people seem to at least to themselves believe that they are submitting themselves to scripture. They're just interpreting it in a way that is brand new to the biblically Orthodox church. And so they, they, they think that Anglicanism can encircle them in the same way, perhaps that they might think that at the time of the reformation, you know, they kept what was nice about Roman Catholicism and just changed the part of it that was going to be reformationally Anglican. And we're sort of doing the same thing here, aren't we? We're, we're keeping the good stuff from what the Episcopal church was and jettisoning the bad stuff, but it ends up being a rub that just can't stay. See, I don't, I don't think we're keeping the good stuff and jettisoning the bad stuff. I think we're keeping a lot of the bad stuff. I think we're, we've, we've taken, <laughs> I think we've taken. That's what, that's, that's what my question is getting to. Yes. Yeah. I mean, cause I think what, one of the one of the, the major thrusts in the Episcopal Church that ultimately that ultimately flowered in same sex blessings and those kinds of things was was what we call wokeness. Now it, it was the ideological shift toward social justice as the gospel, the or or an, an ideological leftist understanding of social justice as if it were the gospel. That or came at the very least it. a completely horizontal view. Of yes. The yeah. Yeah. So that we didn't. Sadly, we didn't jettison that when we came to the ACNA. There, there were, there were, there were corners of the church that still held on to it. Add to that the emphasis in some corners on church growth to the exclusion of doctrine. So that, so that, as long as you just have a basic, the barest, barest, most minimal confessional standards that's all you know that, that you got to maintain those but in every other aspect let's do everything we can to appeal to the culture and be relevant to the culture and so we're gonna we're gonna look as much like the world we're gonna talk as much like the world as we can um and just kind of slide jesus in there in the cracks um that that was part of the episcopal church too and 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 um and that came with us that that came with us in uh, in spades. So you join those two things together, not not in every diocese, but in some dioceses and in some regions, in some in some streams, as <laughs> some streams. Let's put it that way. Uh, um, uh, you put those two things together: the the love for or the the, the non critical eye toward the social justice quote unquote gospel, and the the need to be relevant to the world. And well, that's 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 why we have what we have, and ultimately, it's gonna breed things like this one church deciding, oh well, we should be LGBT affirming, 
it's going to it's already bred um, uh, affirmation of trans identities, and that's going to keep going. It's all it's all it's all comes out of that that toxic slew of of poisonous doctrine. Yeah, and I think this is again back to what we talked about last week, where the danger of this um, transgression of, at the very least, the the gentleman's agreement, as we called it, of uh, limiting the episcopacy to men, because that was predicated upon a submission to the authority of Scripture that allowed, as you talked about last week, Matt, both evangelicals and high church people to sort of come together in a uh, heretofore sort of un well, I don't want to say unholy alliance, but a, but an <laughs> unlikely an unlikely alliance. Um, because even amongst our our own bishop statements, uh, when 2017, one of the points of agreement among the bishops, even bishops who disagreed about whether or not women could be um, ordained to the uh, to the uh, priesthood or not, or the diaconate even, was that they agree that there's insufficient scriptural warrant to accept women's ordination to the priesthood as standard practice. So they actually agreed that there's no there's no biblical that the the biblical witness Article six and article 20 for their role as bishops was that we cannot we cannot argue that you should have women bishops like this is the the agreement and that and part of that was a submission to the authority of scripture which for this person who was in the episcopal church even at the time was uh refreshing you know and said well there's a there's a church that um is yes going to have bend as far as it can to a generous interpretation um, of the scriptures and yet still submit itself to an unpopular opinion, um, which is that there was some sort of distinction and some meaning to Paul's words of, you know, um, to Timothy and Titus about the leadership within the church with respect to men and women. And I think that is been brought into question now, but at the same time, not only brought into question, it's uh, officially from the actions of the bishops uh, in GAFCON, but implicitly, it's been undermined, as we've talked about, you know, since the day it was uttered, perhaps, because there has been sort of a vilification of the traditional, quote unquote, perspective, which has ostensibly been the biblical one, um, however understood, which has um, which has contributed to, you know, a lot of sort of uh, online um, heat, you know, without light, a lot of people being unfairly uh, castigated as as, um, you know, homo uh, misogynists or 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 worse and you know this is part of the 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 difficulty going forward that we have is that if we are going to be something other than just the episcopal church that that doesn't uh marry you know same-sex couples well then we're going to have to consider what it actually might be to teach preach and believe in the authority of scripture the way that we ostensibly do and that would at the very least begin with a a, uh, a full-throated affirmation of our biblical stance on the limitation of women to the episcopacy and all that that entails, like teach, preach, and catechize about what God has ordained and why, which is what we believe, um, or, or say it that we don't believe it and, and, and we'll have to figure out something else. But like, this is what has been revealed over the past, I don't know, months and certainly weeks is that there is a there is a hat tip to biblical orthodoxy that is now being um, is being exposed in some corners as really not, seemingly very little more than that. Um, because if we if we are going to learn anything from where we've come from, it's that we um, should actually take scripture, tradition, reason um, seriously, um, and in that order, and stand and stand firm on the truth that's been delivered. Not all of us have come from there 
I mean, certainly the original, the original founding of the ACNA was, I think, indisputably out of the Episcopal Church. But I think that's less and less true that that people actually have that experience of seeing those things go by the wayside so obviously, and having having suffered for it. Then certainly, you know, you don't have to have come to the ACNA from any particular place to understand it or to love it or to be truly Anglican. But I do think that there, as we've said many times, that having seen it slip away or be <laughs> not even slip, like go shooting away incredibly quickly, lends a special perspective. Yeah. And I think that's why this, these, these recent controversies are actually uh, could possibly be a blessing in disguise because um, there are people who are new to Anglicanism in our parish, for instance, who um, just read Facebook posts or whatever and say, what's the big deal? Like, what's the big deal about this? You know, and I'm happy to explain to them what the big deal is and not out of alarmist way or sort of a dismissive way, but an actual uh, teaching way. Well, you know, this is how this agreement was made. This is the foundations for what the convictions, where they lie. This is how the church is understood. And it uses an opportunity to to teach what Anglicans, in fact, do believe, you know, what our 39 articles mean. I mean, I've, we've talked about this before, but, you know, I've, I have great joy in just reading through some of the more uh, controversial 39 articles, you know, like on predestination or, the, or um, original sin, or I guess, you know, now these are getting contentious just the authority of scripture and the limits of the church. But, but these are great joy. I take great joy because I, I think it's, it's as disorienting as it might be initially, it actually lends an incredible weight and depth to the project that we're undertaking, which is, which is, you know, John Jewell's sort of assertion that we actually are the Catholic church, you know, like we're not doing something new. We are simply recovering that which had been lost. And that's, that's what we're doing. Yeah. I, I remember you mentioned, Nick, the speed with which the Episcopal Church fell and just had the rapidness. I mean, I remember going to being in seminary and thinking, okay, well, this this uh, homosexuality debate is, you know, pretty serious here in the halls of academia, and it's probably going to take about 10 years to really trickle down to uh, something that the church might have to actually grapple with. So I'm safe, you know, I'm okay. And, you know, what, two years after that is when is when it actually uh, when it actually collapsed. And what had happened all along is that some of these ideas that we thought were not percolating were percolating. We, we, we thought maybe we were, were isolated to the ivory towers or to this diocese or to that diocese or this place or that place. No, really what was going on is you had this external facade of health and not even so, I wouldn't maybe kind of health, uh, not dead, <laughs> well, very wealthy. Not mostly dead. It was very well. It was a very well endowed sickness. How about that? Right, 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 right. It's like I have the fanciest doctors and the nicest people treating my <laughs> imminent demise. <laughs> but underneath, it was just utterly rotted. And so, and so, as soon as, and so, just all it needed was some some issue. It just needed some some debate to push it over to 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 make it cave in and that, and that was the gay the homosexuality debate yep. um and i'm afraid the same things happening in the acna is that we have we have uh, these we have an inner rot happening uh fueled by wokeness fueled by a misunderstanding of the gospel a lack of attention to the scriptures uh, Cow uh cowardice cowardice right on the part of leaders who won't call these things out 
um, a decision to focus on social issues. And, and so meanwhile, if that's what you feed your people, they're, they're, they're going to have nothing. They're going to have nothing um, with which to withstand the next time maybe a bishop in the ACA stands up and says, you know what, I think we're going to start blessing same-sex unions or we're going to start doing this or that. This has the potential to collapse suddenly and quickly. And we who have been in the Episcopal Church should be the ones to see that more than anyone else. And still you have people, bishops who are in the Episcopal Church, not doing anything to, and even sometimes, I don't know, I'm, I'll, well, I'll, I will be silent. <laughs> you, you will be silenced, Matt. It's not silent. Uh, well, here's how I see it. And this is something that uh, has uh, Nick and I have been talking about for almost 20 years now together, um, is that I remember when I joined the Episcopal Church uh, right out of college, uh, a lot of my, uh, my Christian friends were very um, sort of not dismissive, but, but very quizzical about how I could join up with a, such a, you know, overtly heterodox denomination. And I said, well, you know, I think that what we are witnessing in the Episcopal Church is just a couple of years, a decade, turns out uh, about 15 years ahead of where you're all going to be, where we're all going to be. Is it the questions of of biblical fidelity, the questions of courage under fire, the questions of of what's worth sacrificing for with respect to um, distinctive biblical distinctives over against the move of the culture, uh, were brought to were were received and affirmed in the Episcopal Church in a way that other churches ostensibly were pushing back on. But now we see, even down to like you know your the big box mega church down the street, you know, is um, theologically uh, almost indistinct to um, sort of, you know, your progressive mainline. I mean, they may not be as overtly uh, sort of celebratory about some of the things, but it's just a matter of time. Because as we saw this sort of the identity tsunami um, blow through, you know, the LGBTQ plus sort of idea, the number of Christians who were unprepared um, and just swept away at the first hint of opposition or, or um, uh, opprobrium from their friends and family was shocking. I mean, I think it was quite shocking. And so, you know, Nick and I have been saying to our Baptist friends, who we have dear affection for, particularly in Louisville, um, just wait, because the, the culture is going to force these questions, and it's going to expose the fault lines, and the pressure is going to um, to crack many people. It's going to it's going to uproot and reveal. And so I think on the other side of this, whenever it crests and whenever it, it flows, we're going to see a restructured American church at the very least, one that has been refined and judged by God for that matter, for being faithless and and fruitless at a time in its, in our time of need. And by God's mercy, we may uh, still be in a... Um, in a school cafeteria like you guys, Nick, or something, or maybe part working part-time, something else if necessary, but, but at the very least, reminded of what was actually part of the faith once for all delivered to the saints. And I think, um, you know, I don't relish that, but, um, but I don't see another way forward. Well, I want to ask you guys a question, um, and I'm, I'm taking my cue here from an article by Lee Nelson at North American Anglican called Salvation Issues from an Anglican Perspective, a Brief Catechesis. And he quotes the primates from their September 2021 meeting where they acknowledge that while there is disagreement and ongoing discussion on the issues of the ordination of women as deacons or priests and the consecration of women as bishops, we agreed, quote, 
that these are not salvation issues and are not issues that will disrupt our mission to proclaim Christ faithfully to the nations. And it's my anecdotal experience just in my personal life that not salvation issues is one of those phrases that you only ever hear in the negative like someone's not a spring chicken, you know, someone like what, what is a salvation issue? We're all, all the conversations I ever hear is, oh, well, such and such is not a salvation issue. So let's move on to something else. So what do you guys think actually <laughs> are salvation issues? And I suspect it's a much broader category than anybody might feel comfortable with. It's going to cause hard conversations. That's a good question. I mean, cause I think, I think there's, there's a tendency to, to blur the lines between what's adiaphora and uh, or non-essential, and what is a salvation issue. A salvation issue is is usually used, like you say, in a, in a, in a weird rhetorical kind of way. There is a biblical concept of adiaphora, mm-hmm. which is which is if the scriptures don't speak clearly about something, then we can't enforce it as law we can't so if i can't you might want to be a teetotaler but you can't tell me to be a teetotaler or vice versa because the bible doesn't say that you can't drink wine or you can't drink beer or whatever um that's an an, an actual audio offer issue of audio offer so the but the salvation issue thing is is, is i think that people try to come at it like this way okay if, if i if i believe this thing or if someone believes this thing will it make him would, would take him outside the faith. It, it was something in, to endanger his or her help for her his or her salvation. And if not, then it's fine. Or it's, it's not something to divide over. You know, I, I just think I don't see that category in the Bible. I see I see the category of adiaphora. I don't see the category of is this a salvation issue? Because at the, at the end of the day, Jesus said, "If you're my disciples, you will abide in my word." And, and what that means is that if it's if it's revealed. If, if God reveals something is true, then then we're obligated to uphold it. And and setting aside, you know, our eternal destiny, which which I think is grounded in, of course, faith in Jesus Christ alone. But I don't think that someone who is actually justified by faith in Jesus Christ is going to hear a command of Christ or hear a word of Christ and say, no, I'm not going to do that because I, you know, I don't have to do that because I already believe in Jesus. So I'm going to, I'm going to heaven. I mean, I just, the whole category of salvation issue, I think is a weird, a weird unbiblical category. Um, a believer is someone who accepts what Christ reveals as true always, even if he or she disobey disobeys it or disagree, dis, you know, doesn't follow it because we're sinners. You still say, okay, this is true. I'm just not, I'm just, I'm just a sinner. <laughs> right. Right. I, and you might I, need to be corrected. And I might need to be correct. That's true. Yeah. That, that but if only, true. if only we had like a group of a collection of writings that people had been pouring over for, I don't know, a couple <laughs> of thousand years to reflect upon. Yes. I don't know what we would, uh, I don't know where we'd find such a. Right. But, we only um, weren't just relying on our own hearts, you know. Well, I mean, that's what's so funny. Like, what other or institution worth, uh, uh, you know, putting your life into uh, has a sort of minimal belief structure? You know, here's here's the here's the the smallest amount that you need to subscribe to in order to be part of this. Like, um, you know, and I think that again, Matt, I think that's where, it, for from my perspective as an evangelical, low church evangelical, you know, at least by my own self attestation, um, you know, my concern with respect 
respect to uh, quote unquote salvation issues would be just what you've articulated, which is fidelity to the scriptures. You know, I mean, this is what we we believe, teach the foundation of our of our lives. And, you know, let's reason together. I mean, of course, you know, and we can find where what is genuinely adiaphora, what is not. Um, and we have, you know, like I was joking before, I mean, thousands of years of discussion about what is um, or is or isn't. Um, but there are some there have been some consensus reached and we are uh, under that and under the authority of scripture with respect to that. So, you know, blatantly um, uh, transgressing and confessing something contrary to what is, is been revealed to us um, would be, well, I would be very worried about doing that myself and being in the presence of someone who, so who did that, who similarly did that, which is why, you know, as we both we all well know in uh, biblical scholarship, you know, when people offhandedly say, oh, well, Paul didn't write this, or this was in a later edition, or this is uh, even clearly an error. You know, these are where my sort of radars go off and, you know, reach for your holster sort of thing and back away slowly. Cause it's, it's, you know, you can say a lot of things and I'm happy to be as, have a sophisticated quote unquote uh, conversation about uh, biblical, uh, you know, authority and inerrancy with anyone. But when you start just flippantly talking that way, where you've stepped outside of the bounds of, of, confessional Christianity. Uh, and, and I'm very worried, I'm very worried about those conversations, you know, and I think that's where for me, um, again, back to what we talked about last week with respect to the uh, women in the Episcopate is that that has been the, the, the comforting compromise that was made that allowed for uh, the formation of the ACNA uh, still submitted itself to the consensus of the church, which had a read on Paul in particular, limiting the ultimate authority within the church to a man. I mean, this is just how it was, you know, and the, and the, uh, the subsequent headship of the family, subsequent headship of the church, like that was all part of a, a biblical world that was, um, it, and still to be fair, is part of our ACNA constitutions and canons, no question. But that is um, a comforting world for a formerly emaciated and oft abused sheep. You know, this was a very comforting uh, world uh, pasture to be roaming free about. Um, and I'm very concerned uh, when I when I as we hear uh, possibilities that somehow the fence needs fences coming down, you know, and that's what we're doing here. I mean, we're, we're prayerful, hopeful and and uh, invested with our lives for the continuation of a church that is genuinely biblical um catholic in order and uh, open to the to the joy of a spirit-filled life i mean that's what we're that's what we've signed up for and that's what we're we're fighting for yeah i the, the nick you mentioned that piece in in north american anglican and, and lee nelson put out a, another piece before that about the uh, the women's bishop women bishops but he was kind of just specifically explaining what a salvation issue is um and that in that issue from an Anglo-Catholic perspective, and so you know, from their perspective, uh, sacraments. This is the sacraments, right? The sacramental life is one is the one and is the means by which God <clears throat> communicates salvation in a broader sense, not not justification, but salvation in a in a broader sense. So we might differ a bit about between evangelicals and evangelicals slash reform folks and Anglo-Catholics are going to differ a bit about how we articulate the salvation issue. But I, but I, but I agree that there's, there's just no way to read the scriptures and come out with, with female bishops. And, and uh, the only way to come out with female bishops is to say the scriptures aren't complete, Like there's some other, 
there's there's a trajectory there. We talked about this last week. There's a trajectory there that needs to be needs to be brought to fruition um, by us that God wouldn't didn't quite reveal in in toto in the New Testament. Um, and that again takes you takes you right out of takes you right out of the scriptures and into you know, speculative the speculative realm about what actual total equality and the perfect utopia looks like. Let's create it. And the speculative realm is a salvation issue. Right, right, <laughs> right, right. We know. <laughs> so, so I think this is one of those issues where I think Anglicans, Anglo Catholics, and Reformed uh, Anglicans and and Evangelical Anglicans can stand together and say this is. I, I, hate, I don't even like the language of salvation issue, but yeah. um, this is an essential issue um, that we can't compromise on without compromising our fidelity to the scriptures. When I asked you about salvation issues, or as you say, essential issues, I meant broader than just the consecration of women to the Episcopal. Yeah. I hear the same kind of language about these other things as well. Like, well, we can agree to disagree about X, Y, or Z. It's not a salvation issue. But when you define it, as you did, I think quite accurately— when you get into a speculative realm about, well, what the Bible probably means or what the author may have meant in the original edition, which we don't have, <laughs> um, that's where you get into a personal salvation issue and a personal essential issue when you're putting yourself on that seat rather than letting the scriptures have it for themselves. Yeah, I agree, Nick. And I think this is one of the reasons why we have been so joyfully a part of the ACNA, um, having uh, been served in denominations and been in uh, various situations where the scriptures were not upheld and revered. And the comfort, uh, as we say in Cranmer's College, right? I mean, like to read, Mark, learn, and inwardly digest them so that by the patience and comfort of thy holy word, we may Amen. hold forth the ever, uh, the blessed hope of everlasting Amen. life. I mean, that's what we that's what we do. And when it's threatened and, and even, even hinted at to be, you know, don't even look at, don't even look, <laughs> excuse me. Don't even, don't even intimate that perhaps we won't have that security that bless because you're, you're messing not with a abstract concept or some sort of strange uh, conviction that only academics hold, but you are literally threatening the blessed hope of everlasting life that has been secured for us in our savior, Jesus Christ. And so that, that's worth, uh, that's going to get um, hopefully more than just the three of us, but at the very least, the three of us riled up enough to um, yeah. to want to defend. Amen. Well, we are sort of in a, in a rush this week. That's going to be all the time that we give ourselves a little shorter episode than normal, but that's okay. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to keep the conversation going, you can be in touch with us. You can rate and review the podcast on iTunes or send us an email at mailbag at standfirminfaith.com or join the Anglicans for the Gospel Facebook group. Thanks to Matt Kennedy and to J.D. Koch. I'm Nick Lannon, and Lord willing, we'll be back next week. Until then, by the grace of God and Jesus Christ, we'll be standing firm. Thank you.